The Adam Crowley Show. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm homebound. Take a lower. Staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making a way through the crowd. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Rushing four. Portis in trouble. They get to him. The ball's down. Falling on by Robinson. It was James Harrison who got to him first. Yeah, but Van Noy got the sack. I'm still trying to figure that out. You have to talk around it now. You can't just say Harrison had the sack and just drove the knife into the Steelers fans' backs. You got to like set it up. Oh, it was a pressure. He worked them into Van Noy. He got the sack. That should be his. Strip fumble, too. Tim Benz with the final hour of the Crowley Show. We're going to get into that in just a second. A couple football notes to pass along to you. Uh, first of all, it looks like Todd Haley is going to be the coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. Word is from Cleveland. They've already gotten rid of the QB sneak and installed the fourth and one pitch wide play. Congratulations, Cleveland. Enjoy that. Celebration party at Tequila Cowboy shortly. Uh, secondly... How's this going to work out? Telvin Smith and uh, what's his name? Ngakwe. Here's the other one from uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've been out of the Pro Bowl along with Bouye and uh, Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell. They're all on the team. How is that Pro Bowl AFC locker room going to go with the Steelers and the Jaguars together? If Lolly and I were doing three guarantees for the Pro Bowl like we did all year long in the pregame show, I would have predicted fight, fight, fight. Those would be my three guarantees. Fight, fight, fight. And you know what the Steelers should Here's what the Steelers coaching staff should do for the Pro Bowl. All they should do, they should make it the most boring Pro Bowl of all time. They should just run Ben on QB sneaks and have Rosie Nix in the game at all times. And just treat everything like it's fourth and one and just practice. Like, bore all of America with the Pro Bowl just so they can get practicing on the crap they need to do better when they get back. That's if they survive the pregame locker room fight. It'll be a stool-swinging incident like we saw in 1999 here. It's going to be Mike Tyson's punch-out during practices between those two teams. What, you think they're going to be able to control each other? Oh, I don't. And lastly, there's this. I had to laugh. So I guess the NBA side of ESPN.com is getting in on the Seth Wickersham stuff. From uh, ESPN.com with the Patriots. Because they just did this big hit piece about discord amongst the San Antonio Spurs over Kawhi Leonard's injury. And how like the treatment of his injury is causing all this angst. And they've never had such a bad vibe around the San Antonio Spurs organization. So I, I guess where we're going with this is, if it works out as badly as it did for the Patriots when they ran something like that for the Spurs, we could pretty much assume that the Spurs are just going to go to the NBA championship again. I was just reading this. I was like, boy, this sounds familiar. This sounds like it has an oddly reminiscent tone. Where have I read stuff like this before? Oh, that's right. That's right. Four weeks ago when this was going to become the descent of the New England Patriots and all they'd done is win two playoff games and go to another, another Super Bowl and they're about to win their sixth title. So yeah, we talked about that earlier, Steelers fans. Um, we talked about Todd Haley. A little bit more if you want to. But we talked about the Super Bowl, and is there anybody who's so angry about the AFC-NFC matchup that you're actually not going to watch? I think a lot of you are going to say that, and I think all of you are going to watch. And I think at the end, 
if this game is close, and all Patriots Super Bowls are close. Every one of their Patriots Super Bowl victories, they've all been close games at the end, even if we thought they were going to blow out the competition. They've all been like last drive or one score Super Bowls by the end. Even the ones they've lost. Well, in this era, the Brady-Belichick era, eh, against the Bears, not so much. Against the Packers, not so much. But this era, I'm talking about. So I think a lot of people you'll hear in the next two weeks, I'm not even going to watch. I hate the Patriots. I hate Philadelphia. You'll watch and you'll root for Philadelphia. You know it. I mean, there's a cognitive disassociation you can make between Philadelphia wearing green and Philadelphia wearing orange. The colors aren't even alike. You can root for the Eagles, and it's not going to be that hard because it's the Patriots. It'll take you a while, but you'll same thing. You just did it with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You probably saw Jalen Ramsey making plays. You're like, God, I hate those guys. You probably saw Malik Jackson making plays. You're like, God, that's the guy that was talking trash to the Steelers. And then he got over it. You saw Barry Church hit Gronk. You're like, yeah, knock him out. We couldn't do it. You should do it. Yeah, Whippeal. Yeah, Whippeal. Whippeal crime. Oh, wait, that's the guy who was saying all sorts of awful things about Lev Ball. Who cares? He knocked out Gronk. He knocked out a Patriot. And we were all Jacksonville Jaguar fans by the fourth quarter, right? Because it would have stopped the train that is the New England Patriots. I, I couldn't take one positive thing away from that AFC Championship game yesterday. Not one. And I don't know what positive you could take away from the Super Bowl matchup either until or unless Philadelphia somehow pulls off the upset. And you know how they'll probably do it. LeGarrette Blunt scoring. But unless Philadelphia somehow pulls off the upset, how are you going to take away anything good from the Super Bowl either? And even if you did, like, you'll feel dirty about it if Philly wins, but all right, at least they didn't win six. At least they didn't win their sixth. So you tell me, how, how, as a Pittsburgh fan, how are you wrapping your brain around all the garbage that you saw in the AFC Championship game yesterday from a Pittsburgh perspective? If you were watching in Dubuque, Iowa, it was a great game. But if you're a Pittsburgh fan, yep, there's Brady running the quarterback sneak. Yep, there's James Harrison getting a sack. Yep, there are those there are those officials finally overturning a call and holding it up on replay, but not against the Steelers this time. There's just so little good you could take away from that game. How do you wrap your brain around the Super Bowl now? 412-922-2874. And let's focus on the Harrison thing specifically for a second here. Let's just focus on Harrison for a minute because, honestly... Uh, there are some people that are trying to rewrite history a little bit here in the wake of what happened with Harrison in, in both directions. And, and I'm, I'm going to stay consistent. I, I've been consistent since training camp, since the preseason. James Harrison should have been playing more. It never should have gotten to the point where Harrison was such a bad teammate that they had to let him go. And they did have to let him go. Let me rephrase. Again, I'll stay consistent. They didn't have to let him come to practice. They didn't have to open the doors to the headquarters to him. They could have just Keyshawned him. Don't come to practice. Don't come to the facility. You'll count against the cap. We'll pay you your money. Just go away. If that's how bad of a teammate he had become, then yeah, they should have done that. As I wrote for the Trib, I thought the Steelers went too far in trying to protect the guy. As I wrote for the Trib, I thought you know, it took the Steeler players sounding off about Harrison to protect the logo and protect the coach and protect the general manager. I don't think it had to come to that. They could have just said that James Harrison wanted out and we felt the need that we had to make a trade. 
but he had those weird three or four days around Christmas where people were just bashing the organization because they were so upset that James Harrison was let go and they didn't understand the details surrounding it. And then Pouncey and Bud and Chicolo, all those guys spoke up and it changed the narrative. Still doesn't mean that move made any sense from a football perspective. Because you know as well as I did, and we talked about this earlier, if that had been the Steelers and they'd somehow managed to stay that close to the Patriots, Harrison would have done that to Ben. We said it for weeks after he's let go and picked up by New England. You watch, he'll get a sack in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game. Well, he did. Except it was Blake Bortles, not Ben Roethlisberger. And I'm going to stay along the same lines of what I've always said. He should have been viewed as no worse than the third outside linebacker on this team. Any snap that Bud Dupree or T.J. Watt didn't get should have gone to James Harrison before Chicolo remotes. And that's not second-guessing, that's first-guessing. I've been saying that for months. Because he has one discernible, definable skill. He can still go get the passer. And if the Steelers are so hung up, if the Steelers are so wrapped up in, well, outside linebackers have to drop, then they got to change what they do. If dropping from the outside linebacker position is that important, then just get guys who rush off the edge like traditional old-school 4-3 defensive ends and get three linebackers who can come. Get Jack Ham out of retirement. Go get Derek Brooks. You know, do gene therapy on Ryan Shazier. Clone him, something. If he can't play again, clone him, because that's what you need then. Find his next, find the closest replication to Ryan Shazier that you can. And stop worrying about whether they can rush. Because obviously James Harrison can still rush. James Harrison has, when he gets credit for this sack, or at least half of it, maybe the stat book will change with the NFL takes a look at the play. He'll have two and a half sacks at least, right? Bud, Motes, and Chicolo combined for one since the start of the Baltimore game. You kidding me? He still could have done something. Motes, Chicolo, these guys are special teams guys. Bud Dupree is a project and outside linebacker that may never work out. And as Bud was never getting the quarterback against Jacksonville, and T.J. Watt was hitting the rookie wall, maybe a fresh James Harrison does for you what he did against the Jacksonville Jaguars for the New England Patriots. Maybe he does that against the Jaguars for you if he's still wearing black and gold. You saw what he did against the Jets? There's still some life there. Him on his downward decline is still better than anything they're going to get from Chickalo or Motes at this point. And that's always been the case. It's always been true. And they set up the bad situation they had by bothering to bring him back if that's all they were going to make him in the first place. I don't know what they thought they could get more out of Arthur Motes than what they had in James Harrison. I don't know why they think the ceiling is as high for Chickalo as it is. But those guys in that specialty role of coming in and taking a few extra snaps and maybe getting the quarterback, James Harrison is still better suited for that than they are. And when things weren't going right for Bud Dupree by the end, they couldn't go to those guys and be like a relief pitcher and say, hey, give us five innings, our starter only got through three. Harrison could have. And he's showing that in New England. And that's not second-guessing, that's first-guessing. I get why they did what they did by the end, My belief is 
he said something or did something that was so egregious, the specific details we still don't know yet, not just the snoring in the meetings, but a threat, a punch, an argument, something something significant really must have taken place before that Christmas game. Or he just said, I'm not going. They said, yeah, you have to come. No, I'm not going. They said, all right, that's enough. Uh, something like that before the Houston game on Christmas. Something like that had to happen for them to eventually pull the trigger on this thing. But football-wise, it was still never going to be the right move. You can chime in on that, too. 412-922-2874 or at Tim Benz PGH. Richard from Wheeling. Hi, Richard. Hi. Do you have any relatives that you know of with the first name of Cooey? Of what? Cooey. C-O-O-E-Y. Cooey. No. I wanted to talk about You were talking about people are going to watch the shooting ball and they're going to reach the Southern Zarfield. Not me. I want the Patriots to win. Why? What a team. What's that? Why? Because I love greatness. And I think we're talking about Belichick and Grady, too. Grady, the two of the greatest that ever played this game. Well, you're and just a Patriots fan. No, not particularly. Oh, yes. Anyway, I am. No, I'm a Steelers fan as far as that goes. I want the Steelers to win. But if they can't, I want the Patriots just because they're just such a great team. Brady is just. I don't usually watch a lot of games. I listen to them mostly, including the Steelers. I don't usually watch it. I listen to it. But it's just like uh, the Patriots, he's a magician. The guy is just so interesting to watch. It's such a great team that I'm just told oh, that's why well, I'm Well, listen, I think, I think, Richard, and thanks for the call. Here's where I'll, I will side with you. I think there's an appreciation of who they are as a team and what they are as player and coach and Belichick and Brady that needs to be stated. You're right about that. But that doesn't mean you have to root for them. I mean, Jesus, I appreciated the Yankees, too. Didn't mean I had to root for them. I happen to be a Celtics fan. I can understand why everybody used to hate them. Um, I don't know if it's the same thing with the Jordan Bulls. You know, the, the, the difference with the Jordan Bulls was that there wasn't really anybody else who was as interesting as they were good during the Jordan era. Like, the Knicks just thugged it up. You know, you felt like the Rockets never would have done it if they faced Michael in the final. The Jazz were Stockton Malone pick and roll for 48 minutes every night. So, I mean, like... How interesting were they? You know, the Bulls had the best player. They were the most easy to root for while being good of any of these dynasty teams. The Steelers were sort of like that too, but by the end, people hated the Steelers as well. I don't think they carried the national arrogance that the Cowboys of the 70s did, so their arch rivals at the time, or the nastiness of the Raiders at the time, they weren't perceived in either direction as much, so they are an easy team for the country to get behind. But the Patriots, you, I think you can appreciate greatness, but you don't have to root for it if it's embodied in a form that you don't like. Belichick is like intentionally unlikable. Brady is perceived as too perfect. It's the same reason why hockey fans not in Pittsburgh hate Sidney Crosby. And the Patriot fan base wallows in the whole us-against-them mentality. The Patriot fan base bathes in this New England versus the world stuff, so they don't care that they're hated, so they heighten the hatred by pandering to it. You know, they love the image of Bill Belichick as the evil emperor. 
You know, they sell the hoodie t-shirts of him in the hoodie looking like the emperor from The Empire Strikes Back for a reason. They bask in that stuff. So you don't have to root for greatness to appreciate it. I appreciate how great of Coach Bill Belichick is and always have, and I've taken guff in this market for years about it. I've never associated Tom Brady's success with the Flategate or Spygate, and I've been excoriated by Steelers fans for it for years. Well, I have to say that he deflated the footballs. Look what he's done since they haven't had deflated footballs. Well, Belichick never would have been as good of a coach if he didn't spy on us. Oh, okay. Is he spying now, too? And look what he's doing. And this is why I made those arguments since 2007 about this stuff. They are that good. I appreciate it, but I don't have to like them. I don't have to root for them on Super Bowl Sunday. I guess I do have to root for Philadelphia. 412-922-2874. Jonathan Bombouli next. We talk Penguins hockey from the Trib here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Winning the face off and lead it up now to Matt Calvert. Going around, Matt going right to the net. Couple of moves and a late save there by Matt Murray. Oh, Matty Calvert gave his A move. More moves than May West and Murray on top with him. I think he's trying to finish going to the five hole and just a little kick by Murray prevented that uh, from being 2 nothing. Jeremy Rodows, we talk some hockey tonight, too. It's Jonathan Bombouli from the Pittsburgh Trib. Make sure you check him out at Trib Live. You can read my columns there as well. Mark Madden from 105.9 The X. Kevin Gorman, also on the column to side. Uh, talked a little bit about football before. Joe Rudder, Chris Adamski on the beat there. Rob Beer Temple on baseball. We discussed Neil Huntington and the fallout from all the moves of the Pirates. Maple, let's get to the Pens right now. And Jonathan joins us on the hotline. Uh, Jonathan, Matt Murray back at practice today after the passing of his father, huh? Uh, yeah, first of all, I'd like to say we got a, uh, a murderous role of hockey columnists at TribLive.com these days, don't we? I didn't even realize it until you put it into words like that. Good times. Yeah, it's going to be good. I can't wait for the playoffs to get started now. I just want the Penguins to be in them. <laughs> like, now that we got this great lineup, Jonathan, I mean, come on, we got to get the Penguins in. Is that going to happen, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, when you look at the hard numbers, usually it takes about 96 points to get into the playoffs. Um, since they went to this playoff format, and that that would be that's going to be pretty tough. I mean, you're looking at you know they have to play at about a 650 points percentage the rest of the way, which is basically what they played at last year. You know, during a really good year. So when you look at it that way, it looks like it's a real tough climb. But let me frame it a different way for you. What they really have to do is stay ahead of Carolina, the Islanders, and the Flyers. Now, when I put it that way, it doesn't sound so awful, does it? I no, doesn't sound quite as daunting there. Yeah, flawed teams. Of course, the Penguins are a flawed team, too. I mean, every team has its flaws, but I think their chances are pretty good. How was Murray when he interacted with the media today, and does he seem of the right frame of mind to come back and start playing again? He definitely, um, I mean, he had a real hard time, you know, talking about about his dad's death. Um, And, I mean, he volunteered to do it. So, you know, credit to him for coming out and doing that. I mean, I know... They asked me before my dad's funeral, they were like, would you like to speak? I was like, speak? I couldn't even grunt out a few syllables. So the fact that he sat in there with cameras in his face, you know, a couple of days after his dad died and talked about it, um, you know, I give him credit for doing that. It was nice. And the reason he wanted to do it is he just wanted to thank everybody, you know, the people who sent him well wishes online and stuff like that. Um, so that was nice. But he's definitely, uh, you know, he's taking it hard, as you might expect. Um, and they're going to give him as much time as he needs to, you know, get together. Okay, so then they have not made a decision on Carolina who's starting, or have they? No, 
I would okay. just figure that out tomorrow morning, Skate. Uh, when you look at how the two backups have performed, has DeSmith been good enough that they would want to keep him and then have Jari go back to the AHL and get more reps whenever Matt Murray is ready to start playing again? I think it's an option. And I think before last week you wouldn't have said it was an option. Because um, it was pretty clear, I think, that Mike Sullivan didn't really trust DeSmith to have him in there to start. You know, he was fine. Uh, with him in an emergency situation if he had to come in in relief or something like that. But actually giving him the ball, um, you know, he wasn't, that wasn't something he was comfortable doing. And then they did it last week and DeSmith was so good. I mean, I thought he was really good in those two games. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, something you have to remember is every time Jari and DeSmith have been in Wilkesbury together, DeSmith ends up beating them out. Um, in the playoffs two years ago, you know, they were both down there and DeSmith was the guy. So he, he's a good goalie and, um, I don't think finding playing time for Jari, I mean, <laughs> that was Rutherford's biggest concern, you know, when Miami was gone and they called up Jari in the first place. Is he going to play enough? Well, he's played a ton, actually, you know, with a couple of injuries to Murray and then his leave of absence. So um, I, right now I don't think uh, you're worried too much about Jari's playing time. He's been getting plenty of it. Uh, down the road, yeah, I mean, maybe that situation does develop. And, and, and DeSmith has sort of carved him as a place where they would feel comfortable making that swap. Jonathan Bambouli with us. How much of the extra start, that second start in a row for DeSmith, was about the fact that he played well? Or was it also kind of a message to Jari at all, do you think? Well, I mean, I think it's just a situation where it, it, you put yourself in Mike Sullivan's shoes before that game. I was a little surprised by it just because Jari had, you know, more experience at that point. But um, Jari's coming off a loss against Anaheim where he gave up four goals. Um, granted, two of them were on breakaways, but he still gave up four goals. And DeSmith was coming off a game where he looked great in L.A., gave up one goal. So, I mean, when you have one goalie coming off a win and one goalie coming off a loss, I could totally understand why a coach would say, let's go with the guy coming off the win. Jonathan, what do you think is going to be easier to find for Jim Rutherford at the trade deadline, if he decides to make a move, and I think he would like to, would he prefer to find a third-line center with offensive capabilities, or would he prefer to find a top-two-line winger? Well, easier to find. Those are both kind of tough to find, really, if you mm -hmm. think about it. Um, to me, this is how I'd characterize it. I think the third-line center is, you know, you get to the trade deadline, you have needs and you have wants. Um, they need another center. They want a winger. Um, I mean, they want to, you know, you want to improve anywhere you can, but, and that's fine. Um, but they need, I mean, they really need a center. If they're not going to be comfortable with Jake Gensel playing center, um, you can create a scenario where you go get a center. You play him with, say, you know, Gensel and Kessel on his wings or Shiri and Kessel on his wings or whoever. These, these are some serious scoring wingers. Um, and they could make a lot of centers look good. So if you find a guy who can sort of fit with that group, then you could play Kunhockel, Shane, and Reeves as a fourth line. I think that's a really good fourth line. And now you're starting to really look like something. But to, so to me, you got to put all your eggs and get in that center. If you can get a if you can get a winger later on, get a winger later on. But to me, the center needs to be top priority. Yeah, I, I think that's how they're thinking too, Jonathan. You walked exactly down the path that I was hoping you were going to take there, and that. You know, I wonder if it's if they find a better fit in terms of who the actual player is in return, or the lack of return that they have to give up to Team X to get a top two line winger. 
Might they be more inclined to do that? And would that be the impetus to finally just stick with Gensel as the third line center? I mean, it's a good point. It's like, or, or, or get a lower profile center, you know, that you wouldn't have to give up as much for and you wouldn't have to carve mm-hmm. out as much cap space to make room for. You could go score, you know, higher profile winger and a right. more sort of, you know, generic centerman. I, I think that's a possibility. Um, but to me, I don't know. I, I, I would, like I said, I'd treat that winger idea like a luxury. And, I, and, and you know, if, if something comes along and the price is good or it's a really good fit or there's a fire sale going on, then do it. But to me, I mean, you get, you get this third and fourth line straightened out. The way this team's been playing since January 1st, um, I think you got something. I mean, you, you need to get your bottom D pair probably straightened out a little bit too, but, that, you know, bottom third D pairs are third D pairs. Um, to me, it's all about that third and fourth line in the center positions there. If they get that together, to me, they look like they're a team. I mean, you want to play them in the playoffs if they go out and get a center? I wouldn't. I read what you wrote about Gensel and this whole discussion about him being a winger or a center in the future and how Sullivan yet again said we prefer him to play the wing, he can play center. That's sort of been the mantra the whole time. And you talked about how it's obvious they're trying to get him set up in the offensive zone as much as possible with all the offensive zone face-offs, and they're not real comfortable with him in the D end. Is that the bigger deal, Jonathan, as far as him playing center or wing, is that they just don't like him as a center, or do they like him that much more as a winger? What's driving their decision, do you think? I hate to say it's both, but it's both. Um, I hate it when Sullivan says that. He does that, he does that all the time. <laughs> yeah, just, so just tell me what you're really thinking, right? <laughs> yeah, he does that. But, um, and it's classic coach speak. But, so if you made me pick the, the, the thing that is the biggest sticking point with Gensel, I would definitely say it's his ability to defend as a centerman. Because he's listed at 5'11", 180, and I think that might be generous. Um, and, and when you have to play down low like centers do, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he can get overwhelmed down low. And it, it hasn't happened a lot. I, I think maybe they're, um, you know, could maybe, it's just something you could experiment with more. You know, maybe they're pulling the plug on it a little bit too soon. Um, because, you know, in the modern NHL, there aren't that many teams that run you over. But I would suggest that this Western road trip was three teams that do. Um, so if you did want to go back to that experiment, Carolina and, Min- and Minnesota coming up this week would be a lot more advantageous than Anaheim and L.A., especially because those are two big physical teams. Is the dream scenario – well, actually, let, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. You tell me if the dream scenario should be for Sullivan, Rutherford, or you think they're on the same page. Is the dream scenario for those guys to have Malkin between Hornquist and Haglin and then have Gensel back with Sid – or do you think they want Gensel to be, like you said, on a third line with a manageable center and Kessel to spread out the scoring? And if that's the case, then who does it play with? Yeah, um, I think it, a lot of that depends on, you know, just what works. Like, if Hagelin and Hornquist play, continue to play like they have with Malkin, then I leave that line alone. Those guys are good together. So then you say, how does Crosby look with, say, Simone and Sheary? Um, to me, that probably, you know, I, I don't have as much confidence that that's going to stick together long term. And I do think you're going to want to get Gensel back up into that mix at some point. Um, so, you know, what is that? Where, where do you pick, where do you put Gensel? I think it depends on how well Crosby clicks with Simone and Sheary. But um, 
I mean, I don't want to keep harping on a point there, but once you get a third-line center, you can mm. experiment with all these pieces. You can move Sherry to the third line. You can move Kessel to Malkin's wing. I mean, you can just mix and match until you find combinations that work. When you get that center, all the puzzle pieces are in the box. So it's just a matter of fitting them together. Does Sullivan just need to trust Gensel more to play center or trust uh, the minutes that he gives to Sprong? Is is there a hesitance on his part, kind of like we saw in the latter stages of the Dan Bilesma years, to trust the young guys that are in the system after having so much success with others? See, it's all, uh, yes, but it, it, it really depends on how you frame it. Because I don't know, I mean, people attach that to Bilesma, and rightfully so, but you can attach that to pretty much every coach there is. I mean, there are no coaches that I know of that just hand over jobs to kids coming up from the minors when they have other options. They do it because they have to sometimes. Um, and, and Sullivan did do that to a certain extent two years ago, but it's not like he was punting out guys with tons of experience. What coaches value more than fans is a track record. It's a, it's a consistency in the past of what guys have done. What fans see is what did you do last week? And coaches look at that differently. And so there's always going to be this, – this tension is always going to be there. This, the, to me, there's certain things that are always fans are always going to complain about. Um, one of them is that the kids aren't playing enough. And two is that the offensive defenseman, whoever your best offensive defenseman is, uh, makes bad decisions with the puck and turns the puck over too much. <laughs> I mean, to me, those are the two complaints you're going to hear till the end of hockey. And the and goalie stinks. And the goalie always stinks. Well, and the backup goalie is always better, yeah. But but uh, uh, goalie stuff, I don't know. I mean, that depends a lot on the personalities involved. And we've had plenty of that over the last couple of years here. But to me, it's that, like, the offensive defenseman thing. I mean, like, when I was in high school, I used to hate Larry Murphy because I thought he was soft and he turned the puck over too much. Now, what kind of an idiot says that about Larry Murphy? And the answer is, you know, someone who's a hockey fan. You're not an idiot. It's just, uh, it's just how it is being a fan. Jonathan, last uh, couple things for you. For the Carolina game specifically, uh or as close to the immediate future as you can tell us. When does Rust come back? And uh, did I see that Hunwick got hurt uh, somewhere along the way in practice? Is Cole going to get back in the lineup then? Um, Rust looked really good today. Yeah, I would think because Sprung got sent down, I would think that means that Rust is in. Um, so you got to find a spot for him, which isn't going to be easy, actually. Um, so, yeah, Hunwick was okay. He, he went uh, kind of head and neck into the boards. Uh, but he said after afterwards that he was fine. So, I mean, sure, there could be a change there, but uh, I'm not necessarily expecting it. Hunt looks said he's all right. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time. Great catching up with you, and we'll talk again soon, I hope. Sounds good, Tim. All right, that is Jonathan Bambouli from The Trib. Make sure you check out his work covering the Penguins all the time on Trib Live. And uh, you can hear him here when he's on with Adam or with me on ESPN Pittsburgh. And uh, check out our hockey writing with uh, Kevin Gorman, myself, and Mark Madden for our columns at TribLive.com, the Trib Sports page on Twitter as well. All right, when we come back, uh, James Harrison, we spoke about him before. He was on the NFL Network with Deion Sanders. And Ben Roethlisberger was on Saturday Night Live. Kind of. We'll discuss when we come back. Tim Ben's in for Adam. All right, just a couple minutes left to go here at the Crowley Show. Tim Benson for Adam. Going to get some hockey talk in with Jonathan Bombouli. He'll be writing about the Penguins Thursday. We'll go tomorrow for the game against the Hurricanes. Um, let's play that cut we didn't get to with James Harrison talking to Deion Sanders on the NFL Network after the Patriots won the AFC Championship game yesterday.
Is this why you came, man? Is this why you 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 just said, you know what? I, I'm not going in like this. Like I said, man, this is uh this is God's plan. Um, you know, I, I'm just sitting here uh, reaping the benefits of it right now. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason, and uh, you know, I guess the reason uh I'm here is uh to get another shot at another Lombardi. And See, it, uh, you know, it feels good. I'm not trying to trip you up or jam you up, man. But what's different about this team, man? Why do they always seem to be there in the end? It's not like uh you know anything is uh taken for granted or. There you go. You got it there. It's like anything is taken for granted. Um, you know, every day is uh, fundamentals, and you know, it's just it's just repetitive, repetitive. It's like it's like being in an army. Uh, you're doing something so much until it just becomes second nature, and you do it in your sleep. So that's the take then. That it's the difference between the Patriots, and the Steelers is it's repetitive, and you're working on the fundamentals. And by the way, is that the only thing that I've been doing wrong with James Harrison all these years? Is I just gotta say, man, just say, just say, man, lot. I, I'm not trying to trip you up, but I'm trying to trip you up. But it's okay if Dion says it, right? This is the same thing like Mike Tomlin with Tony Dungy. Oh, I was just talking to a friend of mine. I was just talking to a friend. It, you know, microphones weren't even on, camera wasn't rolling. I'm not trying to trip you up, man. But but tell me why the Steelers suck and tell me why the Patriots are really good. Go ahead, tell me. Is he going to do it with a Dave Chappelle voice, too? Just tell me. Is that what it takes? And then you get an honest answer? That the Patriots do everything with discipline and the Steelers don't do anything with discipline? Is, is that... Play it again, will you? Can we, let's play that one more time. I got at least the last part. Go ahead, play the whole thing. Is this why you came, man? Is this why you 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 just said, you know what, I, I'm not going in like this? Like I said, man, this is uh, this is God's plan. Um, you know, I, I'm just sitting here uh, reaping the benefits of it right now. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason, and uh, you know, I guess the reason uh, I'm here is uh, to get another shot at another Lombardi. And it, uh, you know, it feels good. I'm not trying to trip you up or jam you up, man. But what's different about this team, man? Why do they always seem to be there in the end? It's not like uh, you know anything is uh, taken for granted or. There you go. You got it there. It's like anything is taken for granted. Um, you know, every day is uh, fundamentals, and you know, it's just it's just repetitive, repetitive. It's like it's like being in an army. Uh, you're doing something so much until it just becomes second nature, and you do it in your sleep. The Steelers have an army guy that's close enough. They got Villanueva. It's repetitive. It's discipline, and nothing is taken for granted. Which is to say, the Steelers. Take everything for granted, and they're undisciplined. <laughs> let's just, let's say it. Let's get through the code. And then, it was God's plan? What's he talking about? It was God's plan. It's just fate that he wound up there? No, you wound up there because you bitched your way out. You slept through meetings. It's God's plan. I don't think it was God's plan, actually. I think it was your plan. I'm pretty sure, James, that God did not force you out of Pittsburgh into New England. I'm pretty sure about that. Right, that's one clip I wanted to hear. I also wanted, for, for people who missed this, if you weren't watching Saturday Night Live last night, you said Ben Roethlisberger made an appearance on Saturday Night Live. Well, quasi. Here it is. This is uh, from Weekend Update. Uh, Cecily Strong playing Stormy Daniels, the porn star who, of course, had sex with Donald Trump, as we know by now. And it was back at a no, golf I, outing. I, Hold on. It was back at a golf outing where Ben Roethlisberger was there. You might have heard this part of it, too. Ben Roethlisberger was at the golf outing. In fact, walked Stormy Daniels back to her room 
because Trump was late and he had Ben basically like, I don't know, uh, just kill time with her in the lobby and then said, hey, Ben, can you take her up to her room and I'll, I'll get there eventually. So that's what happened. And before you go crazy and, and make your little jokes, we all know that he was fine. He didn't even enter the room, just dropped her off. But everybody makes your little jokes, including the Internet and Saturday Night Live. Now, I get it that I'm not what these people envisioned their hero would look like. But guess what, America? I'm the hero you deserve right now. And, and what, what does that mean? Well, okay, okay. Take, for instance, the Steele dossier, right? All right, when the information about Russia was important enough that somebody wound up dead, but all anybody wanted to talk about was the Russian hookers, that's why you get me. You get a stormy, all right? When I was hanging out late at night with Donald Trump and Ben Roethlisberger, and the one I trusted to get me home safe was Ben Roethlisberger, and then you guys went and made the other guy president, you get a stormy. Why did that take so long to surface, by the way? You, you guys were on this. Joe, Tom, we, we were all on this. It took forever for the Roethlisberger. It was out there for like 72 hours, and, and nobody picked up on it. And then there were a couple tweets. I saw Sean Gentilly tweet it, and then you know the Trib put it into a story and put it out there. Like, what, Were we all afraid to say something? Were we all afraid to make uh, here's, you want to, here's a little inside dirt. I heard like the TV stations in town. A couple of them were too afraid to even mention it. Like, they get in trouble with the Steelers if they even mention it. Did you hear that, too? Joe, you can put on your mic. You can say yes. You don't have to nod in anonymity there across the glass. Isn't this the last segment where Adam has everybody in and everybody just sort of talks? Yeah, it's usually a big party, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you don't have to stop the party just because I'm here. I mean, I know I can just talk nonstop, but, I mean, I don't want to throw off the rhythm of the show. Just because I'm not getting waxed or pierced, it doesn't mean anybody else... Is that all you just do is talk about Adam and his bodily functions and what's getting what kind of body hair is getting ripped off? Yeah, he usually uh, takes center of the conversation, all the attention. How did you think Cecily Strong looked as Stormy Daniels? It's a little hard. It's a little hard to believe, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's satire, but I, I thought I thought it passed the buck. I'm a fan of Cecily Strong, although wait, is she expecting or something? I don't know. Like they only, they made sure to have her cropped that like her seat was way down, and her boobs were pushed way big up, right? Yeah. I mean, she's fairly gifted, but not like Stormy Daniels gifted. And Stormy isn't that gifted. I mean, they're enhanced. I don't think Cecily Strong is enhanced. I was a big fan of hers on uh, Weekend Update when she was there anchoring, weren't you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good skit. No, 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 no. When she anchored, like yeah. back in the day. It was a good crew. Yeah, was, I thought she was good. What do you think of Stormy Daniels' work? And don't act like you don't know. I, I know you're younger. Yeah, that, that might be, uh, that might be like the, um, like the Sosa era, the Palmero era, you know, like right before my Because they were juiced? Yeah, that, and like right before my Are you prime, talking like about I like knew. dates? And like yeah, in the terms calendar. Of, yeah, in terms You're not of making a steroid joke here. Uh, it, it can go that way, Because too. of her ginormous breasts. Yeah, PEDs. Oh, of course. See, like, here's the deal. All right, so this is my take on it. Is back in those days, yes, you're right, you want to call it the steroid era, but there was like an archetype. There was like a, um, a brand. And all porn stars kind of thought they had to look the same way. It was big boobs, blonde hair, blue eyes, ditzy. But then as the internet grew up, as the internet expanded, and you had like Google searches and Pornhub and more specifics about 
your a la carte dining, people realized that you don't have to look one way to be a porn star. Little boobs, that's a thing. Asian, that's a thing. Interracial, a thing. Gig- okay, we were just on the DV morning show talking about this. Gigantism is a thing. Small guy, giant woman. That apparently was the most searched term in Pennsylvania for porn this year, according to Pornhub. It was us and like every New England state, which is weird. It was us, every New England state, and like Wyoming. And I, Wyoming, I get they're into cattle and big beef and all that. But, you know, for whatever reason, Pennsylvania and the six New England states, it was all about gigantism. But that's a thing. So, like, back in the Stormy Daniels days, yes, everybody sort of had a look, had that look, was trying to achieve that look. But now, you could be Jenna Hayes, who was just in town at Blush. She's petite. Megastar. You could be Bonnie Rotten, who was just at Blush. Megastar. Tattooed. Spiderwebs on her boobs. uh, Everywhere. Her tattoos have tattoos. That's like a goth look. Christy Mack. Bald. You could be bald. Like, bald is a thing. Bald is like a growing thing now in porn. So, that's a really bad turn of phrase there on my part. But you got what you got what I meant, right? So, I can understand, like, back in your day when you were a kid, just sort of surfing the internet and learning that you might have been put off by that. Like, they were all the same. But now, you know, Stormy Daniels and Jessica Drake and Jesse Jane, you know, they're all blonde hair, big boobs, blue eyes. It still moves the needle. Sure. But you can differentiate now. So, like, Cecily Strong could very easily be a porn star if she wanted to. Don't you think? She's hot enough. Yeah, Can't play yeah. Stormy Daniels. You need the, the dippy blonde wig. But, I don't know. Long way to go for a Roethlisberger joke, but they got there. <laughs> it was fine. Everybody tried to... Is there the New York Times reached out to him for comment on that? The New York Times tried to comment. Like, his, his agent has had to deny, like, 8,000 different media requests over this. I didn't know it blew up that big. And no one around here locally made But the thing about it is, is it's it was such a non-story because, A, she said she walked him, he walked her to the room, and nothing happened. And it's corroborated in a 2008 radio interview that took place. In 2008, she went on some radio station, and they asked her, who is an athlete or movie star that you haven't had sex with that you would like to have sex with? And she said Ben Roethlisberger. So she's already on record as saying nothing happened. So what's the big deal? Like in terms of, ooh, we're too afraid to talk about this. Nothing happened. Like you act like it's taboo and then people talk about it more and it's, and it's more tawdry. She's on record as saying nothing happened twice. Anyway, do we have the Bill Burr thing? I want to hear that one more time before we go. Just to set the tone for the Boston-Philadelphia Super Bowl one more time, here's Bill Burr going off in Philadelphia. No, I'm segueing into my next joke. Can all relic my f- all of you. you can line up in your Harold Carmichael f- jerseys, and one at a time, you can all like city of brotherly love, you bunch of oh, f- all you people. You know what, you f- losers? I hope you all f- die, and I hope the f- Eagles never win the Super Bowl. No f- Side of that f- ass Ben Franklin. Bro.